You are listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Crisp morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sonic Society, the world's largest and longest-running showcase of modern audio drama. I'm Jack Ward, a little chilly here as it gets colder here in Halifax, but I'm getting into the Christmas spirit with my co-host, David Alt. Yes, thank you. A good chilly morning to everyone. <laughs> I know we have a fully packed show this week, but I'd like to squeeze in my own Christmas gratitude, if I may. Absolutely, please do. So, yesterday, the whole Ward clan, which has become larger and larger through the years, has met for our regular early Ward Christmas, and it was so large this year that my parents, who are now full-time in Nova Scotia, <laughs> rented out the local church basement for our Christmas dinner. We couldn't fit it in anyone's household. It was such a joy to have everyone there, including Robin's daughters, especially Madeline, who's now a full commercial pilot. Wow. And my sons, Rory, Colm, and Aiden with his new fiance and long-term girlfriend. <laughs> They're both the same person, I just want to point out. <laughs> I'm so grateful, and it had been such a fantastic time. It was the perfect timing between my master's courses as well, and so I just wanted to take that moment to thank you and thank everyone for that little personal indulgence. Not at all, because we are indulging in a lot of audio drama this week as well as we look at three episodes from our friend Alexa Chipman and Misfits Audio's The Haunting of Cellini, return to a Bargery Buffett Christmas special, Probable Claws, and finish off with a live performance from Lie Hard with a Vengeance and Titch and the Enchanted Snow Globe. And all those features begin right here on the Sonic Society. Haunting of Celine, Episode 1, Portals. Presented by Misfits Audio Productions. You think crabbing season will be late this year? Too many whales around. We don't want them caught in the nets. So we're waiting a few extra weeks. I can get you some halibut or rockfish instead. And there's always oysters. <sighs> that should work. I guess our catch of the day won't be too exciting for a while, though. Ah, don't worry, Chef. Next month you'll have more crab and you'll know what to do with. If you don't mind, I'm heading out before I lose this tide. Thanks. Text me if anything changes. I just need... Ah! 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 There's a gift shop at the Tides with touristy clothes if you don't want to drive back drenched in seawater. Thanks. Ah, the things I do for my men. He wasn't kidding about the shirts. I'll be a walking billboard. Towels are in the back. Thanks. Bit windy today, I gather. You're not the first getting a replacement outfit. Do you want some socks with it? I hate having wet socks. Of course, we just have Christmas-themed ones right now, but these Santa otters are pretty cute. Would you like a mini fishing boat that lights up? Just the shirt and towel is fine. If you're looking for holiday gifts, we have a new set of mermaid-handled cheese knives, or... Bring me up, please. Sure thing. If you come back tomorrow, there's a sale on seashell wallets and lighthouse tree toppers. Or if you're into mugs, I... <sighs> Another time, where's the bathroom? On the left, across from the statue of Poseidon. Are you sure I can't interest you in an octopus coffee mug? Uh, oh, what about a seahorse ornament? I thought she'd never stop talking. Maybe I should wring out this shirt so it isn't dripping all over my car. Ouch! Why is that... Why is the floor moving? That porthole wasn't there before! There's water everywhere! This... This isn't the tides. Where am I? 
Okay, don't freak out. Stay calm. This had better be a joke. Am I on camera? Haha, you got me. Okay, that's enough. How did I get from a sand-coated public bathroom onto the freaking Titanic or whatever this ship is? I mean, even the railing is carved like a tentacle. Who does that? Oh God, something's coming. Yes, you must be part of my experiment. Get away from me. On the contrary, you will be perfect for my studies. What do you think? Should I ask Tesla about adjusting the phase imbalance before it becomes a problem? He left the Agra Falls yesterday. Something about Century Magazine. Before you ask, no. I'm in the middle of my own experiments. It should be a quick manual... Fine! I'll get the juice ducky myself. Americans. Where was I? Right. On to the laboratory. Let's see. According to my notes... Oh. Excuse me. Terribly sorry. Oh, you dropped your goggles. Watch your step, man. Trial 39. AC current and its connectivity in saline water. Ah, yes. 5.3 SM with the last test. Let's try a different ratio. I'll adjust this mirror for a better view. There we are. Oh, bother. Where did I leave the clamps? Not in the tank! Now what? I can't see a bloody thing! Fascinating. It appears I am entirely unrelated location to my previous whereabouts. I should take notes. Date? April 17th, 1895. Time of day? Evening? Moon phase is early waning or waxing. Instead of my laboratory, I find myself in an indoor recreation area with wicker lounge chairs, a long rectangular pool, and circular windows. Scratch that. I'm on a ship. These are portholes. Hello there! Anyone about? It appears to be uninhabited, presumably docked. My gods, it's enormous! Even the RMS Campania isn't this large. I say, this is odd. Why would a luxurious passenger liner be empty in this manner? I'm certain there is a rational explanation for this. Oh really? This won't do at all. Keep writing notes, just keep writing. It's likely the wind, nothing to worry about. Yes, you must be part of my experiment. Get away from me. On the contrary, you will be perfect for my studies. Get back! I know karate! I beg your pardon? Martial arts? It means I can kick your... Yes, yes, I am familiar with the term. No need to threaten violence, even if you are a spectre. Wait, do you think I'm a ghost? Why else would a young lady such as yourself be above decks wearing trousers and no hat in this century? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Have I said something to offend? Long day. Why don't we shake hands? It will establish that we're both alive and not trying to kill each other. Quite logical. I'm Jennifer. In that case, you may address me as Alistair, although this is highly irregular, using our Christian names. I'm Wiccan. I'm not sure what that is, but congratulations, I suppose. Never mind. So I'm guessing you aren't from 2019? Hello? I... No. Wait. You're from the future? 
Are there flying machines? Fireproof homes? Mechanicals? It isn't that impressive, actually. I mean, there's the internet. Speaking of which, I haven't checked for a phone signal. Duh. Of course. No bars. As a matter of fact, I did pass a well-stocked parlor on my way here, if you are seeking libation. No, I mean I can't call for help. We're stuck here. Perhaps there is a telegraph machine on board. We should look for one. From what I have observed, the vessel we were drawn to is from my time period, which means the technology is likely similar and does not require whiskey to operate. That's not how bars work. The last thing I remember is dropping a clamp in my saltwater tank. Then the mirror developed a strange blue illumination. I was changing in the bathroom and was thrown into a corresponding room on this ship. Do you think mirrors could send us back? Solid hypothesis. I was hearing voices earlier. Wait, that wasn't you? Please, I don't even shout like that on Thunder Mountain. Perhaps it's another victim of the mirrors. Or something else. I wish I'd brought some salt. How would a condiment help? It is a monster! Did she just faint? I think we found the source of the screaming. You have been listening to Haunting of Celine, Written by Alexa Chipman Post-production by Jay Clusey Featuring the voice talent of Mark Kalita as Hades Marley Norton as Jennifer Wilson Paul Arbizi as Fisherman James Leeper as Technician Melissa Clare as Bodega Bay Shop Clerk Alexa Chipman as The Monster David McIver as Dr. Alistair Compton, Captain John Tandrazak as Technician, and Natalie Barron as Ida Howard. Music by Kevin McLeod. This audio production is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives license in 2020 from MisfitsAudio.com. Haunting of Celine, Episode 2, Looking Glass, presented by Misfits Audio Productions. Miss Atherton, I have no idea what you are on about. Me, a novelist. The very idea. Don't be coy. You're always hiding notes under the tea things. Nonsense. You're doing it as we speak. What's that under the treacle tart? Uh, calling card. How long have we been friends? Really, Miss Howard? <sighs> I may have penned a few short works of fiction. Short? You? <laughs> and a three-volume novel. Or two. Really? Which ones? <clears throat> Ladies, what are we conspiring about? The weather. It is so very fine. Oh yes, yes, quite so. Tea, Mr. Galvin? I am exceedingly obliged. Thank you. What a lovely cut of waistcoat. Is it new? It arrived this morning from Paris. Along with this. A brown paper box? For you, Miss Howard. I had it sent over specially. A hand mirror? What intricate clockwork gears on the handle. How very thoughtful. And expensive. I think he fancies you. What? Expect a proposal this afternoon. Miss Howard, are you quite well? I need some air. But we're outside. I was so hoping for a few more years on my own. Was that too much to ask? Lovely. Now I am conversing with a bird. Well, Mr. Seagull, let us enjoy our final moments. Do you like bread crusts? So do I, but they never leave them on the sandwiches. At this juncture, I would rather run off with Miss Atherton and have our own cottage together. That would be marvellous, wouldn't it? How oh, I'm rattling on. At least it is an elegant mirror. He 
has impeccable taste. How strange indeed. It's glowing. That doesn't seem natural. adjusting. This is no prison. It's a ship's bridge. Whoever attacked me must have trapped me on board. I need a weapon. That's what heroines and novels do. Let's see. I don't wish to risk breaking the mirror. I shall have to find something else. Eureka! A brass telescope. That will teach the ne'er-do-well that Miss Howard is not to be trifled with. Ah! Oh dear. I am jittery, aren't I? It's so dark. I can barely see my own gloves. Hello? I'm armed. Ah! It's a monster! Did she just faint? I think we found a source of the screaming. I do not find this amusing in the least. And I only tripped. These slippers were not meant for exercise. I was at a soiree. Bless you. A social gathering for the purpose of intellectual and artistic pursuits. I have been invited to quite a few myself. As a matter of fact, accompanying... At the risk of appearing rude, we should not linger in this manner. There is a kraken on board. But we haven't been properly introduced. I'm Jennifer. That's Alistair. We're from the future, judging by your attire. Where did I put my notebook? How will you write without ink? There's a new invention called a pencil. It even erases. Terribly exciting. Erases? How droll. Guys, there's a massive octopus headed our way. After you? No, no, after you. Just run. This way. I was on a ship like this when crossing the pond. I assume you have a plan? Boiler rooms are encased in a metal bulkhead. We should be safe. I should have bought tea. Up ahead. What kind of door is that? This is it. Help me with the wheel. It's not moving. Must be stuck. Let's push together. One, two. It's here. Get back, you fiend. Three. That was way too close. Nice job whacking it with the telescope. Indeed. I owe you my life, Miss... Howard. Let me guess. The last thing you remember is looking in a mirror, and then wham, you're on this tub. I object. We are clearly on an elegant passenger liner, not a tub, as you call it. Even the floor tiles are exquisite. I mean, look at these. They are depicting... No. It can't be. It appears to be an ancient Greek ship, likely a Pentaconta. Whatever. How do we get home? And where is the crew? Even most likely. Shall we examine what we know? Firstly, our appearance falls within the purview of... I don't care. This is beyond ridiculous. I was about to be proposed to at the seaside, no less, and now we're trapped in this death tube. Really? Now... There is a towering monstrosity awaiting us. We are clearly accosted against our will, and now you wish to discuss this calmly. She has a point. Give us a minute, Doc. In fact, why don't we try and get some rest? Maybe that thing will go away eventually. Fine. I shall consult my notes. Thankfully, I discovered them in my back pocket. Howard, why don't you sit here? I'll see if I can find some water. I suppose you may address me as Ida, considering our situation warrants familiarity. Are you thinking what I am? If we can get to a mirror, maybe there is a way back. Like Alice through the looking glass. Agreed. But there must be more to this hypothesis. A catalyst of some kind. We've walked past mirrors on the ship with no effect. Ida mentioned being at the seaside, as was I. Were you near the ocean? No, I was working with a saline bath. Perhaps your earlier comment regarding salt was not awry. So... We need to splash a mirror with ocean water, and hope it works. The kitchens are one level above us. Surely there is salt we could use there, without trying to draw water up over the side of the ship. Great. Now we just need to... get past the giant kraken. You have been listening to Haunting of Selene, written by Alexa Chipman. 
post-production by Jake Lusey, featuring the voice talent of Mark Kalita as Hades, Natalie Barron as Ida Howard, Bernadette Groves as Emily Atherton, James Leeper as Frank Galvin, Alexa Chipman as The Monster, Marley Norton as Jennifer Wilson, and David McIver as Dr. Alistair Compton. Music by Kevin McLeod. This audio production is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives license in 2020 from MisfitsAudio.com. Haunting of Selene, Episode 3, Hecate, presented by Misfits Audio Productions. Do you think the Kraken's gone? Do you fancy opening the hatch to find out? I haven't heard anything in a few hours. But I take your point. Perhaps there is a servant's access to the next deck. My home has a special staircase for them so that they do not mingle with guests or the family. Ugh, seriously? Capital idea, Miss Howard. Why are there so many gears sticking out? Take care of what you touch. Some of this piping may be boiling hot. Over here! I do believe I found it! Quite observant. This hatch is much smaller, perhaps for maintenance crews. Seems clear. Wow, we've been down here a while. I can see sunlight. I believe this is Deck R, where the salons and restaurants are located. More than one? Of course. One cannot expect first and second class to dine together. Perish the thought. Shh. The monster could return. This must be one of the dining areas. Look at those tables. Is that gold leaf? We aren't alone. That's just an old gramophone. It must be stuck. Yeah. I mean, who set the sideboard? Those eggs didn't fry themselves. Scrummy. Wait. How do we know it's safe? This could be a trap. Yes, the giant octopus cooked us breakfast. Stop hogging the bacon, Alistair. Don't you find it a trifle odd that we were just thinking about how hungry we were and this appears out of thin air? It tastes real enough. Sit down. Your pacing is making me nervous. Have some smoked salmon and... what is this? Ah, yes. Watercress with a hint of blackcurrant. Quite the combination. No! You are both being foolish. Don't you remember the story of Persephone? She ate the food of the underworld and could never leave. Yes, she could. Her mum made such a fuss that Hades allowed Persephone to return home for half the year. Pass the marmalade, would you? Not to mention Hecate came and went whenever she wanted to, and... I didn't turn it back on. Nobody move. Where's the salt? I see none on the tables. Kitchen. Now. Got it. What? Was that a, a ghost? Why are you shaking salt across the doorway? We'd better cover our bases. Alistair, look for rosemary, cloves, and ash from a grate. I understand that our meal was interrupted, but is now the time to start cooking? Just trust me on this. Are we going to die? Not on my watch. Ida, is that rosemary behind you? Set it behind the salt. We'll need to charge everything together. There isn't time for a lengthy ritual. Found the cloves! And fortunately, the remains of the fire in the stove and some red pepper. Please stand back. She's gone mad. I'm not sure this will work, but here goes. Oh, wait, we need garlic. Seriously? Is it a vampire? Got it. All right. Now we're ready. Hecate, Malayne, Phosphorus, I call to you from a crossroads for protection. Hecate, Amphibon, Zotera, I call to you from a crossroads for protection. 
Hecate, Selene, Perseus, I call to you from a crossroad for protection. I, Jennifer Wilson, give thanks. Great Scott, you're a bloody witch. Don't be so melodramatic. I'm not the one chanting. Well, I don't care how she did it. The ghost is gone. Did you see it? Her hair was pure white. She was glowing and those eyes. Who knows what that thing would have done if it got in. Hmm, technically that wasn't a spirit. Something was wrong with it. Oh, really? What gave that away? The bloodshot eyes or razor-sharp teeth? I mean, if we can figure out what it is, that will keep us safer. Weird that we haven't seen it before. Perhaps it only haunts this deck of the ship. Sorry to burst your bubble, but spirits aren't tied to places. There are no haunted houses, although there are locations that spirits happen to enjoy hanging out in. Like a hip club downtown? Or maybe this is all explainable by science, and that thing isn't a ghost at all. It showed up right after we started talking about the underworld. What more proof do you need? Coincidence. I overheard you talking earlier about throwing salt water on a mirror to escape. I say we try it now, if there's any left. I for one don't fancy standing around waiting for the next nightmare to attack. Indeed, although I do not see a mirror in this galley. Not a problem. I still have my handheld one that my uh, future fiancé gave to me. You don't sound thrilled about that. Don't be daft. Now, will there be more chanting involved? No! This time we will be experimenting my way to measure our success. I'm not fond of witches, to be frank, and I for one wish to return home. Yes, yes. It was two parts saline, one part water. Trial number one. It's not glowing. Maybe it needs to be one of us at a time. You stand there and the rest of us across the room. Trial two. Not to worry, we'll find the right combination. It's only a matter of time. Let us attempt with one part salt, two parts water. Trial number 142. We're wasting ingredients. And obviously this isn't working. It's almost dark out again. There must be a variable that I'm missing. Have you noticed that every cabin on this ship has depictions of the same group of Greek heroes? Yes. From the various scenes, I am convinced that it is Odysseus and his crew. Look at this tiling with them turning into pigs, then back into men. Maybe it's just decor. We're on the RMS Selene. I saw it painted on the life rafts. Odd. All I know is if the octopus returns, it will take ten seconds for it to tear through that wooden door and- Ooh! <gasps> it's Scylla! I don't think it's silly at all. We're probably going to be eaten! She means the creature that Odysseus encounters, the sea monster, and that is fictional. I admit our situation is unusual, but we need not throw aside centuries of progress for the wild conclusion we're trapped in the middle of Greek mythology. It would explain a few things. I say we make a dash for the boiler room, unless we want to continue this discussion from a monster's stomach. No argument here. Good thing that hatch was nearby. I could barely see in the dark. Wait. Are you propounding that the creature- Scylla! The creature only comes out at night? Yes, and that gives us an advantage. You have been listening to Haunting of Selene, written by Alexa Chipman. Post-production by Jake Lucy, featuring the voice talent of Mark Kalita as Hades, Marley Norton as Jennifer Wilson, David McIver as Dr. Alistair Compton, Natalie Barron as Ida Howard, and Alexa Chipman as The Monster. Music by Kevin MacLeod. This audio production is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives license in 2020 from MisfitsAudio.com.
welcome to a Bardry Buffet mini mystery starring Bardry Buffet, the cruise detective. Put your deduction skills to the test with this week's case, Probable Clause, based on the short story, Clausable Deniability. No matter the murder, by weapon or hands, they never will fit to my holiday plans. It's the best time of year when my mailbox is packed with gifts that I get for the cases I've cracked. I had just lit the Yule log when you'll never guess. My phone interrupted with calls of distress. For that's how it goes for the best in the biz. There's no break no matter what season it tis. I was chauffeured towards trouble wherever it dwells on a jet ski that jingled with tinsel and bells. To the Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, where I'd stick out because I'd be the sole soul not dressed to be claws. This Santa convention jingles with cheer from the West Coast up to the North Pole every year. <laughs> Bombarded by beards as I boarded the boat, I tried to spot bloodstains on already red coats. What's tall Santa hiding in his Santa disguise? Do twin Santas hold secrets in their rosy twin eyes? And was Chef Santa lying? Did Doc Santa do harm? And was Tree Santa really at the Christmas tree farm? As I wandered through this wonderful time of year, I found just the Santa who invited me here. Miss Buffet! Call me Bidge, Santa. Call me Junior Inspector Santa, Bidge. That's my thing. Why not regular Inspector Santa? I haven't solved a cold case yet. Cold cases are what we call any case around Christmas. Okay, yeah. Because it's cold. Mm. That's why I need you. We have a serial Santa killer, and Captain Santa refuses to do anything about it. Just walk me through the facts. To date, eight Santas have died in a little over a week. Is the cause of death consistent? Sort of. The first victim, Rude Santa, was found in the kitchen. He opened the pantry and a rabid bird jumped out. It pecked his eyes out. Can birds get rabies? This one did. This was one crazy bird. I found feathers and peck scars on five other bodies, but the beak marks are inconsistent. I haven't seen a bird killer since the case of the ostrich who got onto a riverboat and started kicking people overboard. The killer hides the birds in his victims' rooms, but I can't track that because every night, all of the Santas sneak into each other's rooms and leave presents. Every single night. So it could be any of them. A Santa with an army of attack birds. And brass knuckles. The fifth victim was beaten to death with brass knuckles. Jeez. Yeah. Who are the other victims? Let's see. Greed Santa, Lust Santa, Sloth Santa, Jared Leto Santa. So the killer believes only the naughty Santas deserve to be punished, making a hit list. And checking it twice, yes. But the eighth Santa, ableist Santa, he was drowned in goat milk. Hmm, birds and goat milk and brass knuckles? Is there an Amish rapper Santa? Yes, but he's one of the victims. Bidge, we need to figure this pattern out before he strikes again. Probably tonight. I know it's not much to go on, but- Hey, Caroler Santa! Mm-hmm. You know joy to the world? Because I just figured this out. Hmm. You don't? That is so weird. Did they cut funding to your training? Just, will you sing something? Because I know the killer's pattern. <laughs> How did Bardry know? Do you know the answer? Prove it. Say it out loud. Come on, just say it. Say it. Say it or I don't believe you. Did you say something? Well, nope, that's wrong. Here's the answer. Oh, holy night. Okay. This Kringle killer got a little too clever. I don't know how he smuggled crazy birds onto a boat, but he used a different species each time. So if you arrange them in a certain order, plus his other two weapons, you get eight maids a-milkin', seven swans a-swimmin', six geese a-layin'. But five golden rings? One for each finger of brass knuckles, plus the misshapen one that goes on your palm. Back to the birds. Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and... A partridge in a pan tree. Again, he had to work with what he had. What song is that? You're terrible carolers. Anyway, next up is nine ladies dancing. Give me nine girl Santas and meet me in the boiler room. On it. Do you have a weapon? Maybe like a sharpened candy cane or... All Inspector Santas are issued a gun. Okay. Wow. You've had that this whole time? Yeah. In your little hat? Yeah. That's... Yeah, that's why your hat is straight up. I thought you were just happy to see me. That's a a gun in your hat. 
Okay, sure. Let's let's do this. Okay. What song is that? I loaded the weapon he shouldn't have had and went with nine ladies in Santa skirts clad down to the furnace, a room of strange shape with only one door, no means of escape. And so with our trap, we will disallow a bad Santa dying from dancing somehow. Hi, I'm never responds to texts, but is always texting when we hang out, Santa. I was told to come down here. That's the victim, so where's the... And then with a clatter and feeling of sternness, the killer was suddenly there by the furnace. He stepped towards the victim, but somehow I'm sure this Santa could not have come through the door. Everyone out! The junior inspector fled with the dancers as the bad Santa stared as if waiting for answers. Texting Santa, cover your eyes and run! Don't you look back, not even if you hear screaming! But where did that Santa come Just go! Despite all the fire, I broke a cold sweat as I gazed at the killer in dark silhouette. He was classic claws shape, from belly to cheek, but my blood turned to snow as he started to speak. It's not nice to point a gun at old Santa. It's way less nice to kill eight other Santa. So which one are you, murder Santa, Krampus Santa? Oh, oh, come now, little girl. It's me, the real Santa. Sure it is. Come with me or you'll go visit the Tooth Fairy in hell. The Tooth Fairy isn't dead. Well, you can tell that to the dead Easter Bunny because... And then with a wink that distressed me a lot, he flew up the furnace like the chimney it's not. Oh my god. He shot out the smokestack and dropped down to grip the reins of his reindeer on the bow of the ship. But as his sleigh turned to fly off to Venus, I had him at gunpoint, eight reindeer between us. Oh, botchery! Quit that! Do you know what happens if you shoot the real Santa? Fake Santas stop dying. There's no more Christmas! And you love Christmas! You tried to celebrate it six times in third grade to get more presents. Fuck your Santa. I am! But what's a few dead Santas if it means everyone still gets presents? Especially you. The Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, it's just a charade to bring you victims every year. It saves me a lot of trips to the mall where the worst Santas are. But why, Santa? I can usually figure it out, but this time it's so weird. Just why? Oh, Twelve Santas must die every Yuletide so that one may live forever. And Captain Santa leaves them out for me like cookies. Because he understands it's a sacrifice for the greater nice. Please give yourself up. I really don't want to do this. Then don't. And I'll be on my way. On Dasher. On Dancer. On Prancer. And Vixen. On Comet. And Cupid. On Dunn. And... Blitzen! Oh, shit! Uh, He got me in the arm! The bullet skimmed Santa. He would have been dead. Had Blitzen not jumped to take it instead. Blitzen! Oh! Oh, shit! We are dragging a dead reindeer! Well, I know one hooved freak who's going to be excited... And I heard him exclaim as he soared over sea Merry Christmas, you fuck! You'll never catch me! What happened? What was that noise? Uh, here's your gun, if you want to put that back in your hat. It shot Santa. I mean, uh, I shot Santa. And Blitzen. They both got away. Are you okay? Um, don't worry. Yeah, I've... I've seen way weirder cases than this. That's so impossible. Besides, it's the holidays. It's the best time for mental health. I'll be just fine. But... I said that I'm fine, for there's no way I'm not. I didn't get trauma from that Santa I shot. 
And sure, every moment since that terrible crime, I can't stop my brain from thinking and rhyme. And a lot of the doctors whom I had to see called it a Christmassy PTSD. But no way I have that. That's way past extremes. Despite that, each night I shoot Santa in dreams. I know I'll forget it. The reason is this. How did Baudry know she won't be haunted forever by shooting Santa? Do you know the answer? Haha, <laughs> no you don't. And neither does she. Because I, uh, uh, wrote it down on my Christmas list. Jesus Christ. Anyway, happy Christmas and holidays, everyone. Join us next week for Bardry Buffet in Return of the Ostrich, who got onto a riverboat and started kicking people overboard. Christmas is coming. You better be ready. Have you bought all the gifts? Spend every last penny? Well, have one on us. This present's for you. It's, it's the Christmas Lighthouse Show. To new listeners and old, permit me to cordially invite you to our little festive playlet. Rude. Without further ado, behold, as Lighthouse with a Vengeance presents... A live recording of Titch and the Enchanted Snow Globe. <clears throat> it was Christmas. Christmas Eve. Well, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm reading the narrator. That's aggressive. Yeah, but I wrote it. And so I will read it. You see, mine is a strong voice, melodious and, like a Canadian forest, riddled with timbre. A voice forged in fire. You, uh, honestly, sound like a teenage frog creeping around at night, an amphibious pervert, if you will. That's fair and from the heart, Paul. Narrate away. (laughs) Good. It was Christmas Eve and young Titch Batman... That's Bateman. It was Christmas Eve and young Titch Bateman looked out onto London town through the small, dirty window in the corner of his squalid room. The fact it was Christmas Eve didn't really matter that much these days, not since Santa had mysteriously disappeared. Key facts, key facts. It had been a hard year for Titch. True, in Victorian England, it had been a hard year for many small boys, but Titch had been bitten... Oh, right. Okay. this is what happens when Rick writes unsupervised. Titch has been bitten by a shark. Everyone feels sorry for them when they wash up on the Thames, but no one thinks about who they've been eating. Despite Titch's cruel Dickensian existence, he was a happy, jolly soul, never happier than when tunnelling right up someone's chimney. I sure love sweeping chimneys, Squire. He did, he did. Oh, Titch really loved cleaning chimneys. The only problem was he was absolutely a Bismal at it. Tramping soot through houses, losing his brush in a variety of pets. And since the shark incident, daubing huge balls of blood on the chimney wall. Oh, it hurts. It hurts so much. Governor. But he carried on as Titch wanted this to be the year. The year he could buy a present for his beloved at Christmas. (laughs) But he carried on as Titch wanted this to be the year. The first year he could buy a Christmas present. A gift for his beloved. Is there an almost echo in here? <laughs> she didn't realise she was his beloved, of course. The golden-haired lady... Uh, Labrador? No. The golden-haired lady got didn't even know poor Titch existed. And she met a lot of people, men especially in her line of work. But Titch knew about her, though, through a convenient placement of both obstacle and circumstance. She was all he could see through his grimy window. He'd sometimes stare at that window for hours and as oft with company as she was. Sometimes strains of her voice would carry through the fog. He could never quite make out the sounds, but she seemed to be having a jolly good time. She would know him, though, and when she did, he'd present her with a gift. The one spot of dysentery in his ointment was that unlike his sopping ravaged arm, business had dried up for young Titch, and with it being Christmas Eve, the poor young mutt had run out of time. Armed! If you'll pardon the insensitivity, with the few bits of coin he'd saved, Titch left his room and walked to the muffled bells and the low golden lights of old London town in the hope of Christmas serendipity. 
So to confirm, Santa had vanished. Christmas isn't really happening anymore, but teacher's still feeling a little bit festive. Wants to buy the lady he fancies a little gift. Rick, shouldn't you all write in, uh, you know, uh, speak for itself? Shouldn't you be wearing something under that dressing gown? Ah, I like the festive draft. <laughs> the snow <laughs> fell in draft. huge flakes onto the cobbles below. Some lingered in the air, though, temporarily cleaning at bits of his sooting-crushed face. <gasps> Further snow still mixed with the fog and made a, a kind of harrowing meringue. Blinded by the filthy confectionery, Titch could never tell a soul how he got there, but suddenly he found himself on the step of a shop he'd never noticed before. I've never noticed this before. It had strange writing across it. I've never seen that. (laughs) Symbols Titch had never seen before. What are those symbols? Some, undoubtedly, a tad risque. Oh, look at that one. Are you doing that? (laughs) A low, melodious sound seemed to be emanating from within. It, no, no, it, 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 it was beautiful. Okay. A strange exotic smell drifted through the open, inviting door. Looks, that's the waft of sweet Mary Jane. And Titch, without any thought of alternate action, walked into the shop that would change his life. <clears throat> Forever! The door slammed behind Titch. Or rather, well, it would have done had his bedeviled weeping post-shark arm not arrested its momentum. Cool, blimey. That sure smarts a tad, exclaimed Mr. Paul. <laughs> exclaimed poor little Titch as he looked up at the surroundings he now found himself in. The room was acrid, smoky, dingy, and of a peculiar smell. Like an old butcher's cellar, perhaps. Or like the North a pause for, for for a joke? Look, if you write stuff over <laughs> yeah. separate pages, right, it's difficult, OK? The parts of the dark shelves visible through the fog were filled with indistinct clutter, the eyes unable to focus for long enough to discern the singularity of the items. Like an with a pub menu. The room was darkness. Darkness filling the senses. Darkness closing in, closing in, and then, and then a light. Small at first, but bigger as he approached. There on a shelf, a glowing silver orb. It was a snow globe. A snow globe. A snow globe filled with joys of the season. But more than that, much more than that, I did it. You said you would not. Sorry. Uh, More than that, uh, much more than that, Mm. uh, it was magnificent. Good. Uh, In a second, Titch pictured himself. Nope, that's... Is a word that does not appear on this page. (laughs) In a second, Titch pictured how his beloved spirit would soar at the sight of it. The price was nowhere obvious. That normally means you can't afford it, doesn't it? I never even ask. And the shopkeeper was nowhere to be seen, so Titch called out. He used a posher voice to hint at some hidden wealth so as to curry favour. I'll say, shopkeep, he said. Uh, struggling with his asses. <laughs> but no. Food. How could poor little Titch draw attention to himself? Aha, he thought. Aha. And he started to whistle a very precise, clear, festive tune. <laughs> well, OK, OK. He whistled. It was just a tune. He started to whistle. Just a note. Just go. Right. He started to hum. Mm. But nothing. So, and to his dying day, he said it was only to look. Titch reached out his good, non-sharp bitten hand and touched the globe. A huge flash of light, as bright as Sir Patrick Stewart standing under a glitter ball, sent Titch staggering. His ears sang badly, like the drunk yo one yum yum. Definitely can't do that. <laughs> badly. You know, like the drunk one from Fairy of New Tale of New York. <laughs> fairy New Tale. The fairy tale of York New. <laughs> I got it, I got this, I got this. His ears sang badly, like the drunk one from Fairy Tale of New York, and stretching every little sinew in his tiny little body, the poor little orphan opened his eyes to the pure and foggy whiteness of crisp Christmas snow. Well, that's and an angry snowman, whose carrot looked to have been stuck in with a stalk still on. Crushed down above his coal-lined mouth, the flowery top above the bit of snow where his lip should be gave the snowman a faintly fascist air. You can't... No, no uh, Rick, we, we talked about this. Yeah. Mm. You can't come in here. 
character. He said in the voice of a right-wing ice sculpture. Oh. You, you can't come in here, as you please, taking all our jobs. Then something strange happened. Something stranger than me sampling what Rick just said and saving it as my ringtone. The snowman had worked himself up into such a state of fury that he began to melt. His face ran down his fluffy white head, giving him for a moment the slightest look of Katie Hopkins. Turn the page. With the snow falling so quickly, though, within seconds the snowman had built back up and his anger was just steam wisping up into the night sky. Cool, that was something. Anyway, it's okay, Squire. I don't want to be a snowman. I just want to get out. As he said this, a deep, booming laugh reverberated around him and echoed up through his little minging feet. Oh, oh minging, Paul. Didn't say that in re- rehearsal, did you? Didn't get that quite right. Well, I'm, you know, it's, it, it's a tough word. All right, give me again. OK, uh, as he said this, a deep, booming laugh reverberated around him and echoed up through his little minging feet. Out! Out! <laughs> no one gets out, little boy! Was literally the creepiest thing you'll hear this Christmas? Santa, I thought you'd vanished. To which the big bearded man boomed. Oh, I have, little boy, I have! I vanished to you! You might be able to tell that we couldn't actually afford Brian Blessed. <laughs> Titch looked around him. All he could see was whiteness, falling snow, and a goose stepping snowman polishing and indeed reinforcing what looked to be a glass wall of some pronounced curvature. And what exactly is here? Asked the insy little fellow. Here! Here! Just like when checking his list, Santa did like to say things twice. Why, you mud-encrusted young urchin, you're in the snow globe! Said the now visible, visibly drunk Santa, who'd been having a tinkle behind a snow-covered tree. A snow globe? Titch looked up in wonder. It all made sense now. The dome roof, the glassy horizon, the telltale stench of largely masculine characters trapped together in a confined, unventilated space. Do you want to make these sentences any longer? (laughs) Incidentally, the Lyhard Show would like to apologise for the lack of female representation on this Christmas tale. In our defence, we can only say that you would find the repetitive use of our best feminine voices more offensive still. And for those asking, yeah, we uh, can't get it because we don't know any. Back to the snow globe. Titch put his hands. Uh, Titch put his hand on the glass wall. It's true. He was trapped. Mm. Um, <laughs> peril. Peril. Sure his, peril. Surra- <laughs> sure, his surroundings were undeniably better than his grotty gin-soaked tenement, but now, now his beloved would never learn his name, nor he hers. He bashed against the window. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Shouted the snowman. Ho, ho, ho! Shouted Santa, clearly drunk and just wanting to join in. You'll have us all smashed, young whippersnapper, said the snowman. Too late! Vomited Santa. What do you mean? Inquired the filthy little beggar. Yeah, sorry mate, I haven't really put much effort into your bits here. Fear not, little man. Uh, You'll inevitably make it up to me over the next few pages. Hit that too hard and we'll end up shattered on the ground! Titch again looked at the glass wall and realised, really quite slowly, he was staring at a giant eye. A dragon, perhaps? Or a ludicrously inked Disney princess? No. No! No! It was the shopkeeper. <gasps> Titch was even smaller now, confined in the enchanted snow globe, sat on the shelf, and the shopkeeper's malevolent, lowly face split into an oozing grin. Brace yourselves! Shouted the snowman as, with obvious glee, the shopkeeper lifted the snow globe and, cackling like thunder, <laughs> shook it ferociously. As the flakes renewed their cursed descent, the snowman hit the roof. For once, uh, not about the state of the country. This country. And Santa groaned, clutching his jelly little jelly belly. <clears throat> Scrabbling back to his feet, Titch also noticed that another character, clearly either hiding or perhaps Rick just thought about, had rattled out of the woodwork. A little teenage reindeer. Hello there, reindeer. I'm Titch, a shark-bitten Dickensian urchin who's going to have a bash at busting us all out of here. But reindeer or not, a teenager is still a teenager. So he simply grunted and offered Titch the one-antlered salute. (laughs) Oh, don't you worry about him. We hardly ever see him, Titch, always in his room. Goodness knows what he's up to in there, especially with those hooves. What? Titch looked at the sozzled Santa with confusion. His room? But where... Oh, oh, look alive, people, said the snowman, having changed his voice really quickly. 
Here she comes. Titch slowly turned his head, like someone off a shampoo commercial, and realised with building internal musical strings... Oh, it's her! It's her! It's my beloved! The young reindeer, too, was suddenly very interested, <laughs> thundering his hooves toward the glass. He then shouted in the most teenage reindeer voice he could muster. That's right, baby, coming from the cold. Baby, baby, baby. Uh, again, Ooh. we couldn't afford Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> and he's dead. Sorry, oh, if you didn't know. Oh, that's bad timing. Sorry. <clears throat> Happy Christmas. Titch looked at the seemingly ravenous caribou. Unaccountably, Ooh, his antlers were standing perpendicular and his nose glowed a bright, almost indecent red. The snowman, too, looked on mesmerised. Uh, Rick, you've actually written memorised. Calm down. Indeed, standing dormant for so long, his head had literally doubled in size. Santa, though, Santa was a drunken picture of heartbreak and fury. No, don't worry, Santa. That's my beloved. She's a... Ho, 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 said Santa, <laughs> said Paul, thundering in for the world's most obvious joke. <laughs> Oblivious to Santa's obvious issues with women, Titch looked on to the unfolding events with fury. The shopkeeper, giant and distorted through the glass wall of the globe, seemed to be wrestling with the struggle was frantic. <gasps> Treasures and trinkets knocked from shelves and all poor Titch could do was watch on. If anything, she seems to be the aggressor, Titch, said the snowman. The little orphan slumped down against the glass. Poor Titch. He'd suffered numerous setbacks in life. Poor me. Sure. The shark bite was a particular inconvenience in his manual line of work, but the knockbacks, they'd started from day one, from the day he was born. Well, it not, was day one, really, for me, Squire. Not so much abandoned as unnoticed by his parents. Oh. He put up with debilitating height, oh. puny, waif-like strength, and a voice as, squi- pardon? <laughs> as squeaky as a prepubescent Mickey Mouse in a helium factory. I wish I could even muster a growl. But through it all, Titch had kept his spirits, even in the darkest of nights, with the cold scraping its icy claws at the marrow in his bones. So, I mean, I, that's a very good line. Titch ruined. Would, Titch would ignore his <laughs> predicament and focus all his might on the London breeze and catching the strains of soft, warm mothers reading bedtime stories to their children. But now, with Christmas no more, his spherical imprisonment and his beloved being attacked just inches from his face, well, Titch, he'd hit his lowest ebb. Santa slumped next to him. Ho, ho, ho. I know how you feel, little boy, said the big bearded drunk. What's the point? It's probably me, isn't it's it? Your, it's your turn, mate. It's your page. turn. I haven't even got the strength to per page from page. Uh, there isn't one for me, Santa. I can't eat. No point, that is. I can't even clean chimneys anymore. Santa nodded swiftly, trying to hurry Titch up so he could speak. Two years ago, it was Titch. I came to this shop wanting somewhere to hide. The shopkeeper said he could help, and I knew something was amiss from his maniacal laugh. I was glad of the Globe Prison, though. After what I'd just gone through, it was Christmas Eve. I was on late. I'd come home, and she'd gone. Just gone. No more Mrs. Claus. With a big fluffy sleeve, Santa wiped what was either a tear or neat spirits from his sagging eye. Dead of diphtheria? Asked Hitch with all the reasonability of the time. No, no, run off with Noddy Holder. How can I compete with a rock star? For a few seconds of dawning incredulity, Titch looked at the forlorn figure. You? How, ca- how can you compete? Like, you're Father Christmas. You bring joy to millions of children across the world. Holder's got one song, and it's niche, Santa. It's niche. The fog was clearing from Titch's eyes. It was so clear now. Time for some action. You need to get up off the floor, grab your sack, and, and get us out of here. Steady. The fog was clearing for Santa too. Pink rushed back to his cheeks. His brow unfurrowed, and his beard pointed itself back into an ice sillies, the drunkenness visibly leaking from his trouser leg. Ho, ho, ho! You're right, little boy. Of course you're right. Rudolph, put your lipstick away. He was always touching it up. We've got a job to do. Unaware of the commotion, the snowman happened to glance up over his daily mail to see how the young orphan's could a wet-panted Santa riding the reindeer directly at the glass boundary. Stop it. Stop it. We're happy here, aren't we? We, we don't need the outside. We're happy here. Let's keep things as they are. Remonstrated the snowman. You've been reading that same newspaper for two years, snowman. Let's get some air into our lungs. Ho, ho, ho. And with one triumphant charge, Rudolph's rigid antlers caught the glass just right. Yes. Perched precariously on the shelf, their whole world started to teeter. To totter. Titch looked at the snowman. Shoo. 
The snowman looked at Santa. Santa looked at Rudolph. Rudolph continued to leer at the lady beyond the glass. Then they fell. With a gigantic smash, the enchanted snow globe shattered on the floor. The first thing the shopkeeper noted when moving away from the woman was that his shop was now absolutely inundated with snow. Indeed, the flurry seemed to be continuing indoors. Secondly, he noted a rigid giant antler spring up from under the avalanche. Put that away, Rudolph. We're free. We're free. Free? So free. Rudolph didn't hear the big jolly man as he was munching on a carrot. A slightly coaly carrot next to a well-thumbed copy of the Daily Mail. I mean, it's a shame, really, Squire, but then it wasn't artsy. Rudolph suddenly remembered he was out and looked up with burgeoning excitement. No, no, no! Leave her to it, Rudolph. We've got a job to do. Let's go deliver Christmas! And with that, Santa grabbed his sack, boarded Rudolph, and shot up into the night sky with an already distant ho-ho-ho. Ho-ho! Titch was a little disappointed at the lack of formalised goodbye. He, He thought he'd struck up more of a relationship, but still... He was out. He'd worked with his newfound friends and found a way to escape and deliver Christmas back to the world. He could have said bye, though. But then, with a drop of his grin, he realised the critical situation he now found himself in. The shopkeeper was built like an oak outhouse and approached Titch with a leer. He hated people finding his shop. He was like one of those craft stalls that only sell one distressed hemp wicker stall per annum. He doesn't want to sell so much as keep people away. So his weird enchanted snow globe had failed. He could still rid himself of the troublesome mite and resume his activity with the lady. He said like a newsreader. (laughs) (laughs) Titch wished now of all times that he had the strength not to defend himself, but to defend his beloved. The shopkeeper approached. But something curious happened as he did so. Oh, that's curious. His steps got heavier, more leaden, as he now waded from the waist in snow. The squall itself started to concentrate on him, and him alone. Titch stood back as a shopkeeper began to shrink before his very eyes. At the same time, shards of glass assimilated with the snow, and with but a few spurts of an accidentally in all the excitement reopened shark bites, like the baddie in Terminator 2, the snow globe had reformed itself with a new resident, a tiny, angry, and ultimately unsatisfied shopkeeper. So turn up for the book. At last, Titch was alone with his beloved. He gazed into her calculating eyes and realised that finally he had something to offer her. To the sound of distant church bells resuming Bong. after years of festive silence. Bong. And smiling the biggest smile of his short, harsh life, Titch picked up the snow globe and placed it in the weathered, oddly calloused hands of his beloved. What's your name then, missus? For he still did not know. Mildred! Right. Um, (laughs) Once again, uh, the lie hard with a vengeance show would like to distance itself from any unflattering female parody. Disbelieving as we anticipate you to be, this is Rick acting at the very maximum of his capacity. This is for you then, Mildred. And with that, she smiled her blackened uni-tooth grin and said... Now, that's lovely, Ducky. A, A really, a really lovely thing. She aged fast. (laughs) What a woman. She reached out and grabbed his good hand and, as if they'd known each other through all eternity, they crunched their filthy feet through the fresh (laughs) snowfall over the sound of gathering carol singers. (laughs) Cat! (laughs) You should have written the cat into the script. It's so nice, this globe, she said, that it'll buy you at least half an hour. And so London. Its biggest horrors dampened, muffled and befuddled by the season, opened its filthy, filthy arms to offer the snow globe, Mildred and Titch, the most memorable Christmas the poor little orphan boy would ever have. God forgive us, (laughs) everyone. Everyone. Presented by Lie Hard with a Vengeance, everybody's third favourite comedy slash game show podcast. That was Titch and the Enchanted Snow Globe. Produced by Paul Blakely. <laughs> Directed by Paul Blakely. But, no, narrated by Paul Blakely. And Rick did some of the voices. I did, Squire. Thanks for listening and, from both of us, <laughs> have a happy 
Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everyone. Christmas is coming. You better be ready. Have you bought all the gifts? Spent every last penny? Well, have one on us. This present's for you. It's, it's the Christmas, Christmas Lie Hard Show. And that's this week's show. Please check for show notes and links at sonicsociety.org. Until next week, a week before Christmas it will be, I'm Jack Ward, and we'll have a lovely sampler waiting. And I'm David Alt. Have a restful week. us here at the Mutual Audio Network. We thank all our listeners and creators for making us an award-winning home for four seasons of audio drama and audio fiction.